We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kush with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning is Brissette. Pounds it home. It to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. Hope you all had a great Easter weekend, but we are here to talk Pacers basketball. You are listening to Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me today, as he does every episode, is the one and only the biggest Jermaine O'Neal fan that I know, actually the president of the Jermaine O'Neal fan club. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Michael J. Fachi. Fachi. How are we doing today? I'm doing great. Anytime I can get an intro, not being labeled as lovely or the biggest Wizards fan alive, man, you know it's going to be a good episode. So shout out to my guy, Jermaine. Always, a, you know, your biggest fan out there. But man, Alex, real quickly, I, I just realized we haven't connected since the Cavaliers went down. And uh, yeah. you know, with them going down, so was the Pacers' second first round pick that we hoped was going to be coming our way this year. Yeah, let's just talk about that for a second because I don't know if anybody got a chance to watch the game. I know a lot of Pacers fans were watching the game, and it looked great from the start. After that first quarter, I had a Pacers fan on Twitter. I don't want to call him out because, honestly, I forget who it was at the time, but I'm sure that tweet is still up on my replies. After the first quarter, they said, oh, that that cast pick is easily the Pacers. And I said, well, that is the Fachi curse (laughs) right there. Of course. It wasn't Fachi saying it, but it sure felt like a curse because you should never say that after the first quarter. It's a long game. And honestly, I will say this. When Clint Capella went down, I'm going to group text 
And they were like, oh, the Cavs should easily take advantage of Capella being down. I said, I think it's actually going to come back to bite them in the bud um, for the Cavaliers because I feel like it's going to allow Atlanta to play a little bit different. And that they did. But I think it's also a detriment to how Cleveland just attacked Atlanta defensively. Like on the offensive end, Cleveland quit hunting Trey Young. They kept doing this pick and roll stuff, trying to get their bigs involved a lot, which was fine, but they went away from what they were doing uh, in the first half completely. And that's why they lost the lead. That's why they lost the game. They allowed Trey to not play defense and then Trey to get comfortable on offense. And at the end of the day, if you allow Trey to do that, then you're going to lose games. So, you know, you got to give the Hawks credit for the big five flash, but just the epic, an epic collapse, not just from where they were at in the season, but in that game, you know, just an epic collapse. And, uh, I think we all knew that was a possibility with Karis LeVert on that team. We really did. And for LeVert, I mean, it was tough. I was watching that game. LeVert never looked good. Never did finish the game 5 of 13 shooting. I mean, look, obviously we can't just like pin all of their failures on LeVert. It's not fair to do. But at the same point, I watched that game and I went, man, I make that same trade 10 out of 10 times, even if we don't get the first round pick this year. Because LeVert just – I wouldn't, he was someone that wasn't going to come off the bench for us. Someone that was kind of blocking the road to development for, you know, Chris Duarte and maybe could have even slowed down Tyrese Halliburton. Either way, I just felt like I couldn't believe that that was a guy that coming into the year, I was so thrilled with is like, Hey, maybe he could be a dark horse all-star, but like, man, now it just looks like, you know, this is kind of who Levert is. Maybe it'll be a little bit better than this, but I don't see him taking a next step to being a borderline all-star. Well, you put him out there on the court with Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and uh, of course, Darius Garland, and you just realize what is missing. And it's, you know, it's, it's one thing to sit here and be critical of him now that we traded him. Obviously I was pretty critical of him while he was here with the Pacers as well, but I just felt like there was one point in the fourth quarter when Bickerstaff threw in a lineup of Rondo, Levert, Okoro, Jared Allen, and I believe uh, Lamar Stevens, maybe I can't remember. There was another fourth. There was a fourth guy in there that, or fifth guy in there that didn't really make a whole lot of sense. They didn't go to Kevin Love at all. It felt like in the second half. I don't even think he played in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. But um, they didn't even have Markin out there. It might have been Garland actually. I think it might have been Garland at the end. They went with like a three guard lineup. But that basically just put one shooter on the floor, and everybody else was non shooters. And Atlanta just got hot then. And it's like, okay, so why are we running a lineup here with? not really good shooting. I mean, I know Karras had a couple of threes to match Trey to end the third quarter, but that's almost like the worst possible scenario because then when Karras sees the ball go in, he becomes tunnel vision Karras and he becomes careless with the basketball. So honestly, I was just disappointed with how the Cavaliers were not able to write that ship. They could have easily uh, continued to feed the hot hand. Laurie marketing was unbelievable in this game. He really was. I I was joking. I was like, he had a Bojan playoff game against the Cavs in this one. That's what he looked like. I mean, he was hitting everything, and they just went away from him, and I don't understand what they were doing. So, um, you know, kudos to Nate McMillan and the Hawks, but what a complete uh, collapse by this Cavaliers team. It was really tough. Look, I want to give Jared Allen credit for playing. He did suit up. He played 35 minutes, but guy really wasn't a factor in the game. I mean, for, for a really good rebounder, pulled just three rebounds in the game. So, you know, shot blocking standpoint, just, just one and one, you know, shot blocked. It just, I just felt like at times it was kind of forgettable that he was out there. I thought maybe he might have been able to take more advantage of the matchup once Capella went down, but that didn't really happen. And for Cleveland, you, know, you talked about it, their, their starters played heavy minutes. All five starters played over 35 minutes. Garland played 43 of the 48. 
And then you mentioned Kevin Love, just 10 minutes over there. Their bench really couldn't give them anything. I, I just felt like Cleveland's best shot was probably against the Nets. I, I think if Jared Allen had played that game, maybe they might have been able to win that game. But overall, you know, it's it's not the best start to the offseason for the Pacers. We're down a first-round pick that at one point seemed like a sure thing. Hopefully it materializes next year. But, hey, we'll see. But, man, Alex, if that pick could have been like 16th overall, whoo, would have been a nice start to the offseason. Let me just stop you here. Did you, number one, did you say that they had a better chance of beating the Nets than the Hawks? No, no, no. That was a really close game against Brooklyn. This game over here, they led in the first half. I think if you had Jared Allen in that first game against Brooklyn, I think they might have won that game because it was that close. That okay. second half, Cleveland looked like they were dying a slow death. They were up 10 points at halftime, and the third once the third quarter started, that was done. But they went away from everything. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, They should have easily beat the Hawks. They had that game in the bag, and they just overthought it and tried to do too much isolation basketball. There was no ball movement. They were trying to run screen and rolls with Mobley and Allen. Um, and I disagree with your Allen take. I, I understand that he didn't put up a lot of points or rebounds, whatever you want to call it. But the man went four for four from the field, was three or four from the free throw line. Get it. He didn't play a ton of minutes, but – it was a weird rotation for him. His first game back and how many minutes. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying with his rotations were weird. He was coming out early in the first quarter. Uh, he went back in with a weird lineup in the second and the fourth. You got to think this guy hadn't been playing since the beginning of March for him to come back in a playoff game. Um, I respected it. No, and, and I will also say this while he might not have had a lot of block shots, something that we both get caught up a little bit too much in with looking at stats is we don't realize the impact that they have that has of driving to the basket. So I would say without Jared Allen, they win, they lose this game by much more points than they did. No doubt. No I think doubt. Jared Allen was a difference maker in this game. Even if he was a minus three on the court, that was just because he was out there with that horrible lineup during that huge run. So um, I, I really feel like Jared Allen actually was a difference maker, but at the same time, there never, ever, ever should have been a moment on the, in this game, where not one of Darius Garland or Evan Mobley was on the floor. So I think Bickerstaff, while he had a great season getting his team over the hump and kind of shocking people in terms of like what we thought they were going to do, because I think we both predicted them to be like a bottom three team in the East once again. So for Bickerstaff to oh, get yeah. no where doubt. they were out, it was it was a, definitely an incredible season for him. But, you know, I think this is only going to make them more, you know, they're going to be more ready next year for a playoff run. I think um, – I, I just felt like you were slighting Jared Allen a little bit there based off your comments, but I could be maybe just misunderstanding what you're saying. But honestly, I felt like he played a pretty good game. He played an all right game. Jared Allen is a really good rebounder in this league, like a really good rebounder. To only have three rebounds in 35 minutes for a guy that averages a hair under 11 rebounds, I mean – I, I think right over there, he could, could have potentially had a little bit more of an impact. But like I said, I give the guy credit because he returned in a, in a do-or-die, must-win game. I, I I very much respect that. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, Only had 36 rebounds as a team, though. So it wasn't like there was a gob no, no. of rebounds either. No, no, it wasn't. But, you know, regardless, I, I thought, hey, look, when you mentioned it, plus-minus, he was the only starter with in a, a plus-minus and being in the negatives. We're not going to completely go into that. But regardless, I, I thought when Capella went down, that was a time where Jared Allen could have maybe had a little bit more success. But well, we'll go look at the bench unit. They were all massive negatives. And that's who he played with with Levert in the first quarter 
uh, excuse me, in the first half. And then he also was out there a little bit, and Darius Garland was part of that group in the second half. It was that awful lineup of Rondo, Okoro, and Lavert. He was out there with them, and he can't shoot either. So that was just bad coaching, in my opinion. But with that being said, you know, the Hawks survived. They get pounded in game one against Miami. Oh, and, yes, they did. And uh, it's kind of nice to see because I'm not a big Atlanta fan. But, I'm not either. But the Cavaliers, you know, it is what it is. Had a good season. But anyway. Let's take a quick break. We will come back. We will start the mailbag part of the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's jump right into the mailbag here, Vachi. So this one comes from Fester35. He's got a two-part question, so I'll read both these questions here. Um, he said, what avenues do you see for us to get another lottery pick? How high do you think we can climb? I'm looking at Charlotte with Turner deal in Washington with a Brogdon deal. I don't think that we can climb that high, but when you look at you know picks that are available, I mean, Charlotte having 12th and the 15th overall pick, and, you know, they've been interested in Turner since essentially he came out of the womb. So I, I feel like at this point, they could be dealing one of those picks because, you know, we you talked about how rough those play-in games have been for Charlotte. So I think they're, I don't want to say entering a purely win-now mode, but they're ready to get it going. They have young talent that I feel like they can't just continue to add to. They want to add some more established players. I think the Knicks could potentially part with 11th overall pick. They're trying to win now, and they just had a really rough season. So, you know, for a, like a guy like maybe, you know, a Brogdon or a Turner, you know, there could be a little bit more in there. But, you know, they've been searching for a point guard for 20 years now. Then yeah. you got OKC, has the Clippers pick. So I think at that point, that could be something that's uh, very interesting. Also, before I said 12 and 15 for Charlotte, I meant 13 and 15. Charlotte has the 12th overall pick coming from the Clippers. The OKC has more picks than one team could possibly need. They're also slated to be picking fourth overall as of now. So I do think that the 11th, 12th, 13th, and 15th picks could definitely be available on the table. Yeah, you know what's really interesting is, I don't really bring this up, but the Cleveland pick at 14, obviously they get it. But what would it take to get that pick back? Yeah. Is there a possible scenario where we say, hey, look, you guys got a lot of young talent. We'll give you X player for X player, try to figure out another deal maybe with them to get that pick back. Um, I'm not saying it's out of the room of possibilities. It's probably very unlikely, but what if we just said, hey, we'll give you guys your pick back for next season and we'll give you back this Houston pick if you give us this pick at 14, something like that, because um, that means they would have two picks and that'd be pretty valuable. But 
just throwing that out there as an idea. I don't think the Pacers really want to get rid of pick 31 because the benefit of having pick 31 is there is not like a a guaranteed salary that is owed in the second round. So basically when it comes to it, if you sign a guy at 31, you can pay him whatever you want to pay him and make the contract, whatever you want to make it. It's, It's not one of those rookie scale contracts where you see in the first round. So that definitely is interesting to me. But yeah, I think Charlotte's obviously the obvious team here that makes a lot of sense with them having 13 and 15. Would they be willing to part with one for a player? Um, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what uh, what kind of deal that would be, but I definitely think there are some avenues here. And I think even with Chicago, maybe Minnesota, uh, San Antonio at 20, I think these are some teams you could keep an eye on as well to maybe make a trade because San Antonio has got three picks in this draft in the first round as well as OKC. So that's just something to keep an eye on here, Fachi, as we uh, as we move forward and, and look at maybe some of these guys that fall that the Pacers like. Yeah, definitely. I want I mentioned those were the earliest picks that I think would be potentially available for the Bulls. I don't believe they'd be able to trade this pick due to previous first round picks that they traded in the Vucevic deal. So they might be, you know, having to keep their pick. But uh, a lot's going to be determined. I do think that this could be a year where it's it's a weak free agency class. So I, I think picks could become available for trades. Um, but for Cleveland at 14, to your point, I, I think they keep the pick because we they laid the foundation for what could be a good team for next year. So I, I think that they would probably say, hey, we make a couple tweaks right over here. We're going to be a playoff team next year. Maybe we hand the Pacers like the 19th overall pick next year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, no. Right. And I think that's more realistic. I was just throwing it out there as a talking point just to see if there was anything possibility or any interest in that just curious your thoughts but I, I I definitely think there are some players in this draft that would really help Cleveland next year uh in the playoffs because in that range there's some talented players and there's there really some, is some really good college players that um had really good you know roles they played their role really well in college so I think that could be interesting so um I'm going to move on to the next part here from uh, mm-hmm. Fester he said if we trade a vet or two are we looking for more draft capital this year or are we looking for younger guys already in the NBA? I think if the Pacers are to trade, you know, a vet or two guys that have been rumored of like a, you know, a Brogdon or Turner, I think they would be looking for younger players and some sort of pick. I don't think that the Pacers want to continue to just be adding so many draft picks, even though some fans might want that. And I see the intrigue in that. It's going to get to a point where at some point you just have so many young players that you don't know where to fit them. So I do think also based on the salaries of Brogdon at like 22 and Turner at about 18, you're going to have to take someone back. So if you can get a combination of a player that's ready to play now and a draft pick, I think that's fine, even if you eat into the Pacers cap space. So I think they're not looking for just picks. I think it's a player and a pick. Yeah, I mean, I think that's – Kind of what they were going for with a Levert trade, but yep. they weren't able to get a player really that they liked. Obviously, Rubio's contract was just to match salaries. So they were like, all right, we'll take a gamble. We'll go for two picks. And I believe at the time it was like pick 23 through pick 25, something like that, where the Cavs pick was originally at. So for the Cavs yes. to lose all these games and then eventually miss the playoffs, like it was like analytics probably said, you know, there's no way that this Cavs pick doesn't convey this year. So Pretty much the worst possible scenario played out for the Pacers getting this Cavs pick for this season because why not? This is Indiana, but that's kind of where we're at with it. So in my opinion, I think, you know, going back to what the question was asked is I think they're just going to look to make the best deal available. I don't know 
if it's going to be young players in a pick or if it's going to be just a pick with maybe an established player that might fit the team a little bit more. I think if you look at this team in general, they've got to make a decision. Which way do they go? Do they go and continue to go younger? Is that the way they go? Or do they look at this team and say, hey, you add a veteran or two to this, we can really be a playoff team next year. Does our owner want to win right now or will he be willing to maybe go um, one more season with a nice little rebuild because they are in rebuild mode. So I, I think that you just really have to weigh your options and whatever decision they decide to go, they just got to buy in completely. And I think that's how they determine what they trade for Fudge. Yeah. Lots going to be determined. I can't really see the Pacers with confidence, like going into another year saying, Hey, we're going to rebuild for one more year and just not be competitive. I feel like what we got last year in, in making all those moves at the deadline felt like, hey, it probably took a lot to convince ownership to get here. So I think the Pacers will try and, you know, piece together a team that can be more competitive because what we saw at the end of the season was not a team that was very competitive. They, they ended on a 10-game losing streak. So at some point, you got to win again. Otherwise, you might not have fans. But I think we all know inside, hey, a tank for one more year could do wonders. But yeah, let's move on to the next question we have. Uh, a Joffrey underscore said, is Chris Wood a good target to be a starter in future contender team? I think he means Christian Wood. Yeah. Uh, would Cleveland trade him? I think he means Houston. Uh, knowing that Houston won't win now and the Pacers will probably rebuild faster. So, yeah, assuming that you mean Christian Wood and Houston instead of Cleveland, I, I don't think the Pacers should pursue this option. While I had a soft spot for Christian Wood in the past, uh, I mean, look. <laughs> Soft is an understatement. I, I called it back then that he would be a very underrated signing. And if they could have done that sign trade, it would have been appealing because he did take a massive step forward. But he plays close to no defense, and the Pacers are atrocious from a defensive standpoint. Uh, like I said, like I had a soft spot for him or whatever type of spot you want to call it. Uh, I don't think he's the answer at this point, especially as he goes into an expiring year. And the words of Ariana Grande, thank you, next. Nothing to say on this. Christian Wood is not a good fit for this Pacers team, number one. Number two, Christian Wood is an overrated basketball player. Christian Wood, offensively, might be able to score 35 points, but he's going to give up 42 on the other end. His defense is absolutely atrocious. He tries 0% of the time. I Every time I watch him play, I'm just baffled by how bad it is. Like, Goga Batadze went a perfect, <laughs> like, 8 of 8 from the field against the Rockets when Christian Wood was out there. Christian Wood, honestly, it, it, it's just ridiculous. Like, the fact that he got paid what he got paid, cool, good for him. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have got it. But, look, the, the Rockets suck, and he's supposed to be, like, their best player. I know Jalen Green's probably deemed that now after this year's draft. But Christian Wood, I mean, the, the Rockets would love to get rid of him. And I know that they've been talking about, like, I've seen Rockets Twitter talking about, oh, trade him to the Hornets. It's like the Hornets don't need more offense. No, they need The defense. last thing the Hornets need is Christian freaking Wood. So, yeah. no, I'm not – I have no desire for Christian Wood, if you can't tell by my tone of voice here. I think Christian Wood is an absolute waste of time and a waste of money for this Woo! Pacers team. Oh, man, it got hot out here. Um, you know, I, I would just say this. Look, someone has to put up numbers – on really bad teams and the Rockets have been atrocious the last two years so Christian Woods numbers are definitely inflated so at this point look I, that's not what the Pacers need they don't need more offense they were scoring plenty of points problem was they were giving up way more points and that would not be fixed if you were to make a move for uh, Christian Wood especially and I know this didn't come up there if it had to do with giving up a guy like Miles Turner who's actually playing defense so yeah, yeah. Uh, not a good move 
Well, speaking of Miles Turner, we got another question here. Uh, this one comes from Samuel Colbertson. He said, who would you rather have, Rudy Gobert or Miles Turner? They might be splitting the jazz up if they underachieve in the playoffs. Would you trade for him? I'm going to say I'd rather have Turner because, look, while Gobert is better defensively, and that can't be argued by the amount of you know hardware this man has to prove it, uh, he makes an absurd amount of money. I mean, this was the first year of a five-year, $205 million contract. It's going to pay him between 35 to $46 million per year over the next five years. Turner's making $18 million. That's about half as much as Gobert is making and Turner's not, you know, he's not half the defensive player that that Gobert is. I don't know what ratio you would call it as, but it, it's it's more than 50%. <laughs> so, look, at this point, maybe on a new deal Turner could make, well, I don't know, say throw out 22 million dollars roughly per year. Gobert's still going to be averaging nearly double that. So, at this point, you're talking about a guy that put up one shot in game 1 against the uh, against the Mavs. Yes, the Jazz won that game, and Gobert did have 17 rebounds, but I, I truly think as time goes on, that contract might be the detriment of the Jazz. Mm, uh, that's interesting. I just feel like there's a lot of beef there between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert that there definitely uh, is, is, uh, <laughs> is something to keep an eye on as we move forward. And Donovan Mitchell just signed a big contract as well. So yep. we'll have to see what Utah does. If they get out of the first round, how does that change things? Does it impact what Utah does in terms of blowing it up? Look, Danny Ainge is down there in, in Utah now. So we talked about it when he was with Boston. You're dealing with the devil. So oh, yeah. I just don't like it whatsoever in terms of dealing with Danny Ainge. But let me throw this number at you, Fachi, and I'm going to ask you what category you think it is. The number 11 for Rudy uh, Gobert, statistically. What do you think that is? Uh, don't know. The number of three-pointers that he's <laughs> – Attempted, attempted in his entire NBA career, 11. He attempted four the last two years. The prior three seasons of that, he attempted zero. So Rudy Gobert is not a threat from outside. I'm going to take it one step further. Did he he make any of the He has not made one of the 11. I believe that. (laughs) I'm just saying 11 is all he's attempted in his – he's been in the league since 2013. So a nine-year career, he's literally only taken 11 – uh, attempts from the three-point line so you know Rudy Gobert 15.6 points per game 14.7 rebounds 1.1 assist honestly he's a much better player than Miles Turner I don't care what anybody tries to tell you the money is the money the Pacers really don't to me personally Rudy Gobert plays a lot of a lot of games uh, he does have some injuries here and there but he played 66 this year 71 last year 68 the year before he was an all-star in all three of those years I believe so Look, Rudy Gobert, he's a better player than Miles Turner, a better defender than Miles Turner, probably not a better shot blocker than Miles Turner. But I think what we've noticed from Rudy Gobert is teams attack him in the playoffs, and that's a liability. I also think that when it comes to how Rick Carlisle wants to play, Rudy Gobert does not fit that mold because Rick Carlisle values the shooting of Miles Turner. So, look, I'm the Pacers, and I'm looking at what I'd rather have look. It's a big investment for Rudy Gobert, but also it's a big investment for Miles Turner if you're going to offer him $25 million a year. The biggest thing for me is age. Rudy Gobert is 29, Miles Turner is 26. So with the way the team's going, I would say Turner makes the most sense moving forward, but I still think Rudy Gobert is a better player. But the Pacers are not in win-now mode, so that would be why I would invest in Turner over Gobert. Yeah, look, if you did something like you – blocked out how much they're making and their name and their face or whatever, and you just showed their stats, everyone's going to say, hey, Rudy Gobert, this guy is a really good re- rebounder. 
a good shot blocker. He's averaging more points per game. He's been on, you know, winning teams and he's been a defensive player of the year. I think it was three times and been like a runner up the other few, but the money to me, it's, it's terrifying. So I don't think that the Pacers were going to make an investment. It can't be into Rudy Gobert making, you know, near $40 million at that point, because I think if you put Rudy Gobert on this Pacers team, yeah, maybe they're better. They probably are defensively, of course, but how much better are they overall as a team in terms of being a contender? I don't think that I don't think that much. Uh, I mean, he adds a lot to the defense, Fachi. I'll just he, put it that much. I he mean, does, it was, but it, was it would take Buddy Hill to Miles Turner just salary wise to get Rudy Gobert yeah. out of there. So you're talking about two of your highest paid players because Gobert's making 38.1 this season. So mm-hmm. uh yeah, I mean, I get it. It's a lot of money to invest a lot. in and a center that is not offensively gifted like an no. Jokic or an Embiid. So yeah, it's definitely not worth the, the long-term investment, in my opinion. I don't think he's $20 million better than Miles Turner. He's not. But I still think he is a much better player, and he would help this team win more, especially knowing how much we need help defensively. I mean, being able to funnel everything to him, I think he's just I, – I, it's just really tough. But there's a reason why Rudy Gobert has won Defensive Player of the Year multiple years and why the Jazz have been so good, despite having some, you know, not-so-great defenders on the roster. Yeah, I mean, look, he definitely would help the Pacers win more, but that is a vague term of, is that five wins more? Is it, I don't know, how many more wins is it? I don't know. But there's also a reason why I know that the NBA All-Star Draft is more of like a popularity contest, but there's a reason why he's not, you know, picked towards the top. It's that, you know, this game, yes, you need defense, but you also need to score a lot of points, and Rudy Gobert is not a threat offensively. Yeah, I'll just say it this way. Age, money. And shooting is why you keep Miles Turner over Rudy Gobert. Yep. And it's not a knock on Gobert. Gobert to me is once again the better player. But those are the three reasons why you keep Turner in this instance over Gobert. So good, good question there. Let's move on, Flashy. Good, good debate. Uh, DKF said, should the Pacers tank one more season in search of a superstar talent? Yeah, I, I think this is a pretty obvious answer. Yes, they should. I mean, depending on whether their pick lands this year, they're still going to have to fill the holes. And and like I said earlier, it just depends on what direction they want to go. Are they going to continue with the rebuild or are they going to continue to try to do what they've always done and add veteran talent and win with this team? Look, there's no doubt in my mind, the Pacers could have won more than 25 games this year. They were clearly taking towards the end of the season, hoping, hoping, hoping that the Lakers would somehow lose that game to OKC uh, on a Thursday night. So yeah, we were all watching that scoreboard watching, but at the end of the day, look, the Pacers, have a really good chance here to to make some big moves here by tanking the problem is the fans got to support it so if you're screaming hey let's tank then you got to support come out watch this team come out and support the young guys that are developing because if you have Halliburton this first round pick Duarte Isaiah Jackson then you get the next pick you get another first round pick in the lottery I think there's a lot of potential there Fudge Great point in terms of being able to support the team, because if everybody is so negative about the team and not showing up to to games, that's what's going to force the hand of ownership to say, no, I want to put something together. I want to win now, like right the shit. So at this point, I, I would bang my gavel all day that one more tank year could potentially be the biggest and best thing that could possibly happen to this franchise. Next year's draft is expected to be a really good one. Uh, in terms of, you know, looking at first overall, many people might not be familiar, but this guy, Victor 
Wembenyama. I believe I'm pronouncing that last name right. Yeah, it's tough. I don't want to try. It's, I, I went for it. I took a stab at it. I appreciate he's the a, effort. He's a center from France. He's 7'2", seven, 7'8", wingspan. There, this guy is, is supposed to be very special. No one in this draft class is anywhere even close to being on his radar. The Pacers were somehow able to acquire the number one pick or even just another top three pick or so. My God, that's how the Pacers can build something sustainable with a high ceiling. Because if you're not attracting free agents, then you do it through the draft and you do it through trade. Um, and I think trade-wise, you know, you could be a little, a little bit limited. But for the draft, that that's where you have endless potential. It would be such a young, fun core where guys aren't being paid much. They can continue to build together. But will it end up happening? I don't know. I kind of feel like the Pacers are going to be better next year, but still not good enough for the playoffs. So it's like, are we going to awkwardly pick like 11th overall? I don't know. We'll find yeah. out. It's a, it's a tough spot to be in. But if they have the Cavs pick and they have another lottery pick at like 11 or 12, could that help them move up? I don't know. That That's the interesting could. thing. And they could always trade that Cavs pick too. As uh, you know, like I, I think it's very similar to Charlotte. Um, their pick was traded to the Knicks, I believe, and then the Knicks traded yeah. it to Atlanta, but because they didn't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was lottery protected, so it they, was, were able, they were able to get it back. So that's really cool how that all worked out. And honestly, you know, the Knicks were able to get Cam Reddish by trading that pick. So that is something they could do is take a jab at somebody like that. But let's move on to our next question here. This one comes from Zachary Barnett. He said, I've had the postulation that the Pacers could get rid of anyone who played under – um, the McMillan regime and fully start over. I just want yours and Fachi's thought on this. First off, I want to say, Zach, you've been hitting the books. Postulation, great word. I know you're still <laughs> in school, so hey, shout out to you. Um, look, in terms of getting rid of anyone who played under McMillan, I don't think that our players are cursed. Like, like McMillan's like some, you know, working some voodoo on us. But at this point, I mean, look, Alex loves to throw out a Fachi curse. I don't think there's a McMillan curse, but look, Turner, McConnell, Lance, Brogdon. Uh, I don't know if I missed anybody that played under McMillan, but I see Brogdon being shipped. McConnell could be shipped. Maybe he's still on the team. Wouldn't be that big of a deal if he still is, but we'll find out. Lance is a free agent, and Turner has had rumblings about being moved for years. So you could get your wish. I don't think it's all going to happen in year one, but if we move all of them, I don't think it's going to make us any better, at least short term. Yeah, I just I, I think that if you're trying to clean house, it's tough. I would say this based on what um, what I'm feeling here with how I've watched Coach Carlisle throughout the season. I, I definitely think that McConnell is here to stay long term. Fachi, I know th- I know that I've soured on that earlier in the season, but the reason I feel that way is because the style that we're playing now with Halliburton, I think it benefits to a certain degree McConnell because of his ability to move the ball up and down the court very quickly. I think we saw it at the end of the season. It didn't actually look too, too bad when Halliburton and McConnell played together. However, it's going to take a lot from McConnell to work on that three-point shot. So, look, teams are going to give it to him. So, if he can knock it down, then, hey, you've got something there that they got to respect. But at the same time, you know, he's uh, he's a little bit undersized, but he plays with so much heart. And, honestly, it feels like when you watch the games, he is the leader of this team emotionally and probably vocally. So, you know, it, it doesn't feel like Brogdon has that pedigree with this roster. So I'll just put it this way. I think McConnell is probably the most likely to stay of the McMillan regime. I would be surprised if he is dealt. I think the only way he is dealt 
is if they just have to make the salary work because he does have a decent salary that you can add into a trade. So that's the only way I see him really being moved on from. Um, obviously, the, the number one candidates here, Lance, there's a very good chance he's not brought back. Just embrace for that um, because they could want to look at younger guys and, and continue that rebuild, and it makes more sense that way. But, of course, Brogdon and Turner, the two most popular names in trade rumors probably for the last couple of seasons, you know, I get pretty much chewed out on Twitter all the time, Fachi, for the fact that I uh, always bring up Turner trade ideas. But it just is what it is at this point. I mean, he's been in so many rumors. What am I supposed to do? So he's a, he's a fine player, but he's in a contract year. He's coming off two years of injuries. It just makes a lot of sense why he could be on the trade block. So it's nothing like personal because I'm actually more intrigued, like I said on here plenty of times, to see him with this roster but I know there's a possibility of him getting traded. So I'm going to try to refrain from saying too much about trading Turner this off season, but it's just, it's something we have to look at once again, unfortunately, because of the no contract extension that he's received yet. And it also, I want to say this real quick. I know I'm rambling, but when you trade Turner, you have to make sure that he wants to be where he's getting traded to, because if the, if he doesn't want to sign an extension with X team that he's traded to, then you're not going to get as much. It's going to have to require Miles saying, okay, I would be happy going to X team. I'll sign an extension there if you make this trade. So that's where it really comes down to where it could be more difficult to trade Miles just because he's going to have to agree to a, a contract extension for the Pacers to really get some kind of value back. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I got about 10 points after that one. I was, that was all, all, good, all good points. <laughs> Look, here's what I'd say. One, for McConnell, you made a great point in terms of like, he's not going to be the feature piece of a trade. Like at his salary, it's like, what are you really going to bring in to get McConnell? It's not like someone's going to be like, hey, let me give a lottery pick for TJ McConnell. Like that's not going to happen. So if his salary works to make a bigger trade happen, then then yes, he, he could very well be moved. Like if you did attach him with Turner. Second, I want to give uh, TJ McConnell a lot of credit because he really wanted to come back at the yeah. end of the year. He did not have to come back and play a couple of games. There's like three games at the end of the year. Uh, guys like, you know, Brogdon, Turner, like they might have been healthier. I know there wasn't it wasn't worth the risk to have them play, but McConnell really wanted to come back. And it was cool that we got to see him, you know, with this group. I think that showed from a veteran leadership standpoint, hey, look, if he was going to bust his butt to come back, like it's like, let's go, guys. If I can do it, other people can do it. Uh, then when you mentioned Turner, like, look, it's not just us putting Turner in trades. This, this guy's name comes up all the time. He's one of, if the Pacers are moving on, he's one of the appealing pieces for teams to trade for because there's such a need for a rim protector that can shoot threes. Like, that, that's what's, it's, it's not just us, it's everybody. So, look, <laughs> the, the fact that you even mentioned it, they haven't come to an agreement. I haven't even heard many rumors about them throwing out numbers to, to yeah. agree on anything. So at this point, going into a contract here, there's probably going to be more Turner rumors than ever before because yeah. teams are probably thinking, hey, if they haven't locked him down, he might definitely be available. But yeah, if he's not going to sign long-term, then, then you might just be looking at kind of what one of those reports said where they might be looking at just a first-round pick and something instead of a higher-end first-round first pick. So we'll mm -hmm. see what happens there. But Overall, man, just 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 a lot going on. Uh, but I, I do think that McConnell could be here to stay. He still has two years left on the deal. And I, I think look, I'm not gonna say I think he gets a little bit better from three-point land. I hope he gets better from three-point land. Yeah, it's uh, it's all about hoping here, and that's what we have. So 
honestly, let's just take a quick break here, Fachi, regather our thoughts, and we will complete part one of the mailbag right after this. All right, coming up next, we have Chris Weech. He said, trade idea. Trade would be Miles, of course, <laughs> and pick 58 for Hayward, pick 15, and P.J. Washington. The Hornets would give their worst of their two firsts to basically get off the Hayward deal. This opens up cap now and future so they can pay Miles Bridges. They move PJ because they can't pay Miles and him next year. Yeah. And then he said Pacers do it because they gain a first in the deal and the asset of PJ Washington, who, yes, has to be paid, but it's restic- restricted. And you for sure own his rights. Curious your thoughts on this. I've talked to some Hornets fans and I'd be in favor of this deal. Happy Easter, fella. So, Chris, thank you so much for sending this question. And it's actually a really good thought process. And I don't know if this trade kind of came from uh, me talking about it on Thursday's episode when I put when I put that out there and threw that out there that, you know, would would you be interested in trading for one of those first from Charlotte? Look, at this point, I think all the points that you brought up are really solid. And I think they're pretty much similar to what I brought up. You know, I know the Pacers really like P.J. Washington. His name has been linked to them for the last couple of years. So if it wasn't true, I don't think they'd be interested. But they really value Miles Turner as a center because, look, Let's be honest, P.J. Washington is kind of a tweener at this point. He can play four and he can play five, which I I like the versatility of it. But do you really want to pay someone like Hayward $30 million to play half a season? Can you sell that to your ownership? Hey, we want to go after a guy once again that we tried to get earlier a couple of seasons ago, go back after him. And here we go. You know, obviously this deal, similar to the deal I made, it's not about Hayward. It's about the it's about the pick and Washington. However, ownership doesn't always view it that way. So for a team spending money, you're going to have to give some stuff back. So you might be able to take on this trade without giving up too much back, uh, too much money because you have the extra cap space. But do you really want to use your cap space on Gordon Hayward? Probably not. So I think this is a really tough trade to get done. Honestly, I threw it out there just because me and Fachi were having a conversation last Thursday, but. The deal that makes more sense to me is expiring contracts of Plumlee and Ubre for that pick with Turner going back to them with no other second round pick involved. But um, if you're involving pick 58, then I really don't care that much uh, at that point. So uh, curious your thoughts on this, Fachi. Yeah, I don't care about moving pick 58, but I'm, I'm torn on this deal. Look, Hayward, PJ, and 15th overall for Miles, who's an expiring contract, and say the 58th. Uh, over here, you're talking about that the Pacers have the opportunity to potentially have the 5th, 15th, and 31st overall picks. That's a lot of ammunition right there. What they do with it, I don't know. But you could either end up drafting three really promising players. Maybe you package 15 and 31, and you know you, you try and move up even higher. Um, I don't know maybe what where you'd be able to move up with, but you have a lot of ammunition over here. Hayward, two years left on the contract. He's never healthy. It's tough, but you made you brought up a great point on Thursday's episode. If it doesn't work out, are you potentially able to flip him in his expiring deal for something? Yeah. Because at that point, it's a lot of money coming off the books. The Pacers can get very creative with that. I, I don't know if Pritchard would still be in the front office seat by then, but he, he's pulled some rabbits out of hats before, though. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to flip him if it didn't work. But I do love the idea of P.J. Washington and the 15th overall pick coming to the Pacers. Maybe it's because I missed out on that Cavs pick and I had already sold myself at picking around, you know, that, that 16, 
16th overall area, but I'm intrigued. I can't say that I hate this deal. Yes, I very much love the deal better that you proposed in terms of Kelly Oubre and Plumlee because you're not really taking back any money at all. Yeah. But this would be more likely of a deal they would want to do because they have to get money off the books. So yeah, yeah. Can't, can't say I hate it at all. If it happened, the only problem that I would have would be that the Pacers would have to turn around and say, hey, we're trying to win now, I think, because, hey, we're making that much money, being more of a veteran. I do think it would force their hand to say, all right, let's, let's try and win as many games as possible. And at that point, I think we're probably more of a play-in team than anything else. Yeah, I mean, if he's healthy, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you do here, if you do make this trade, you got to look at it from this perspective. Are they going to move Brogdon as well? Let's just say yeah, I think they do. Let's just say, for example, I'm just going to throw it out there. Let's just say the Pacers get Jaden Ivey, they get a Benedict Matherin, or they get a Shaden Sharp, somebody like that that can play the two position. Okay, so now you got Tyrese, your draft pick, Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, and Isaiah Jackson. That's a pretty good starting five. Okay. I like it. I don't know if it's necessarily going to win you that much, though, in the Eastern no. Conference. And look, Gordon Hayward has been a part of this Hornets team that is definitely going through a rebuild. And they've definitely accelerated that rebuild to an extent because LaMelo Ball really outperformed what a lot of people, a lot of executives thought he would be. Then you, of course, have the growth of Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington. So I think you get a veteran like that. He's only going to be a positive in terms of on-court production when he's on the court. Look, he's going to have games where he might not play great, but I think locker room-wise, he is a leader to a certain extent. I think you saw the Hornets were much better when Hayward played. Absolutely. So here's what you hope for. You hope that maybe through the first 40 games, Hayward plays 85% of them, which he has done. He always gets hurt later in the year. He plays so well, and then you're able to flip him again. That would be the ultimate goal here. If you're able to get P.J. Washington plus the pick, for Turner, a guy that you are unsure about extending, especially if they don't have any interest in extending him, this would make some some sense. I'm not saying it, you know, doesn't make sense, but the biggest thing is is trying to sell ownership to approve of this deal, write off on this deal, paying a guy like Hayward, I believe he's going to make 32 million dollars next year. So you're going to have to give up, you know, good assets to get to get Washington plus the pick. And then you're also helping them out by taking on the money. But it's just, it's a very tricky trade. I don't necessarily hate it. But anytime I mention Gordon Hayward, anytime I mention Miles Turner in trade, people just come at me. So oh, they really do. I know. It, they you get cannot... so mad. It's just like, I'm not even trying to do it for Hayward. It's like, you literally say Hayward sucks. I'm doing it for Washington, the pick. But like, man, well, he quit talking about Hayward and Turner. It's like, I'm not even trying to bring him up, but it's just part of the salary. So it's just, uh, it's one of those annoying things, Flash, for me. I know, but here's what I would say. If they were to flip Hayward after acquiring P.J. in the 15th, people would be like, that was a genius move because depending on what they got, but, I mean, it could it could work out. It could. Like I said, I don't love the deal, but I don't hate the deal. So yeah. at, at that point, it is intriguing because at some point the Pacers will need an actual veteran that is – you know, a good player on the court, like who, someone who can lead by example rather than leading on the sidelines. And DJ McConnell does have limitations. And at that point, Brogdon would be moved. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm intrigued over there. I am. Yeah, I'm intrigued too, but I don't want to get too far down that nope. rabbit trail because 
I want to get yelled at and get, you know, traps set up and then they catch the rabbit. So uh, let's move on. Our next question comes from Samuel Pippo. I haven't heard a question from Samuel in a while, but so glad to have you back, Sam. He said, do you think they'll be tanking again next season to accumulate more assets from the draft? Or is there enough confidence in Tyrese plus two good starting players in Malcolm Miles and or Buddy uh, plus the 2022 draft pick that they will be at least fighting for the play-in? If we're going into the season trying to fight for a play-in game, I think we've already lost. I think at, at this point, look, it, it's obvious the Pacers will, you know, never purely look to say, hey, we're going, we're not really trying this year. We're, we're going to do one more year. They're never going to pull like an OKC to start the year. But I'm curious to see things like, will they re-sign TJ Warren? What do they trade Brogdon for? Uh, if, if, they're, if they are trading veterans for picks or, or really young players, I want to see what it's like. But I, I do think that you can't depend on Brogdon and Turner to stay healthy this year, at least for both of them. No. Could one of them stay healthy? Eh, it's possible. But both of them, I don't think so. And if you're going to put all your chips in that, I think the Pacers are going to have a very mediocre year. So one more tanking year, I, I think, would do this organization wonders. Yeah, and then we talked about it earlier in this, so we'll kind of close it out how we started it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It, it's tough to it's tough to sit here and be like, man, you know, what could we get for Brogdon? What could we get for Turner? What could we get for Buddy Heald? And like, just speculate all these different things. And you know, we didn't even bring up T.J. Warren earlier when we were talking about the name McMillan era as a guy oh, yeah. that could be brought I mean, yeah. back. You know, so there's sign and trade stuff there you could do with him. I mean, honestly, Brogdon to me seems the most likely to be moved and the easiest yep. to move because of the contract. And I know that we've had some differing opinions on that contract before, but I will just say it this way. You know, Brogdon fits in pretty much anywhere he goes because his ability to play point and not play point, play off the ball. He's analytically, his numbers show that he's a pretty good defender. I think the Pacers defense was much better with him on the floor than with him off. So he he does bring some great value to, to the court, but it's the, it's the not wanting to play towards the end of the season. Was that his choice? I think it was more so his choice than people probably realize. Um, and I think the Pacers were okay with it because – if Malcolm's healthy, everyone knows he's healthy and he's just resting. It only increases his trade value. So long story short, um, I, I think that if it's up to management and not up to ownership, management would probably prefer to go down the rebuild one more season and see what they can get with all the assets and, and build with Tyrese, this draft pick, and the guys they drafted last year. But if ownership says, hey, we got to get butts in seats, um, You'll probably see Lance back on the roster, and you'll probably see more veterans to try and help this team win. So, Fachi, any final thoughts on this? Now, just hey, always, always fun to do a mailbag episode and hear from you guys. Love the questions. I thought we had, you know, uh, a whole bunch of different questions today, and it's just always fun hearing from you. Absolutely. So we are going to take a quick break. We will come back with part two of the mailbag. We got plenty to talk about. So, Fachi. Other people know where they can find us at on social media. All right. So you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And if you're hoping the Pacers jump into the top four of the NBA Draft Lottery, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! <laughs>